Welcome to an Impact Ministries production brought to you by Impact Ministries World Changers, changing the way the world sees God. Learn how you can become a world changer today by visiting www.impactministries.com. Now, here's your host, founder of Impact Ministries and developer of Heart Physics, the self development programs that have changed thousands of lives around the world, Dr. Jim Richards. Hey, I'm Jim Richards. I want to welcome you to today's Cyber Church message. You know something? I am so thankful for everybody who participates in this. And I'm even more thankful for the people who multiply this message to the ends of the earth. You know, uh, uh, I know my role and what I'm supposed to be doing. And what I'm supposed to be doing is I'm supposed to be providing the pieces, if you will, of the gospel of the kingdom uh, because that's the message that has to be taken to the ends of the earth before Jesus can come back. Now keep in mind, Jesus is not coming back to, uh, to destroy the world. He's coming back to save the world from the Antichrist. Religion has told you that he's going to come back and, and, he, and everybody's going to go to heaven or hell right at that minute. And, uh, and, and so people are afraid for Jesus to come back. They're afraid that their children, their loved ones, their grandchildren, their friends, won't, aren't, you know, they're not ready now, so, so they're scared to death about it. Well, I, this is just another lie that religion has told you. You know, the tribulation is not from God. The tribulation, the Bible says, is the tribulation of the Antichrist. And when Jesus comes back, he comes back to overthrow and destroy the Antichrist and his armies and to set up his kingdom physically here on earth for 1,000 years so that your kids and your grandkids and your loved ones will have the opportunity to see what righteousness looks like, to discover how good God really is and how good the world could have been if we had only trusted God and applied his truth. So you know something? We need to be those instead of holding back in, in fear of, oh, God, I don't want Jesus to return because of, my, because of my loved ones. We need to usher in the return of the Lord. We need to be the bride of Christ. We need to be calling out, come quickly, Lord Jesus, so that they can know you, so they can experience you before they're destroyed by, you know, by all this stuff that's going to happen in the world. <clears throat> but it's a message of the kingdom that we have to take to the ends of the earth. And the message of the kingdom gets into and has its basis in the covenant that God made. Now, if you have been following this message, and if you haven't, I encourage you, go back to the very beginning of these messages about the mysteries of the new covenant. Because remember, a mystery is something that's laid out in plain sight. And that's what God did. God laid all of this out in plain sight. And the only time we can't see it is when we want to see something else, when we want it to be a different way or we don't believe, you know, what God says. But I am telling you, this, is, this entire series is one of these series that I think has the potential to, to just change and influence your heart for God in some really, really incredible ways. Now, I have kept this series going here in our, in our cyber church longer than maybe any series I've ever done here in this environment. And now I've got, a, you know, I've got a great series, a great audio series that goes into all kinds of things that I can't get into here, but I'm going into all kinds of things here that I don't get into in that audio series because I am trying to give you every single thing I can give you to cause you to 
trust God, fall in love with God, see how good God is, and know how to have this kingdom life and know how to enjoy this, this covenant that we have with God. Now, today I'm talking to you about what I call the two goats of salvation. You know, it's really interesting, many places in the Old Testament, now, some people say, well, why, why are you teaching us out of the Old Testament? You know, you, this is about the new covenant. Well, remember, Everything that the Apostle Paul taught us about Jesus, people have this idea that he went off and hid in a cave and, and God told him things that were not already in the Bible. No, he says that everything is about Jesus is already in the scriptures. You know, all these great things about identity, all these great things about forgiveness, all these great things about the first and second coming of the Lord, all of this is in what we call the Old Testament, which is really just the scriptures. Uh, the, the covenant was old, that was an old covenant, but the account of God and the history of Israel and all the names of God, all the things that we need to know to understand who Jesus is and what he accomplished for us, every bit of that is laid out in the scriptures. Now, <clears throat> every one of the sacrifices in the Old Testament reveal is a type or a shadow that reveals things that really spiritually happened in our lives based on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Now, sadly, because, and again, I'm not, I'm not trying to bash Catholicism here because there's a whole lot of Catholics walk with God, love God, serve God, because it's a different world today. But when Catholicism was launched, there was this very deliberate effort to alienate people, uh, believers, from the Old Testament. Uh, and, and by eliminating people's knowledge of the Old Testament, it made it possible to really twist New Testament uh, doctrine into anything that they, that they wanted it to be. This is how, this is how they, uh, uh, you know, the priesthood, for example, all the priesthood is just built on the Old Testament priest, priesthood, which was done away with in Jesus. Uh, all of these kinds of things. So again, my, my purpose is not to bash Catholicism, but my purpose is to say during at least the last 17, 1800 years of Christianity, we have been pushed farther and farther away from the knowledge of God that comes through the scripture and people are seeking more subjective understanding. This is why humanism and all kinds of fake religious and occult things are being woven into the fabric of 21st century Christianity because we don't know the scripture. Well, <clears throat> so in the, I want to talk to you today about, about a specific sacrifice. I'm not going into all the details about it. I'm, you know, there's not enough time to do that. But I'm going to talk to you about what they called or what God called the Day of Atonement. Now, when you think about the word atonement, and you, you will hear people many times use the word atonement in connection to what Jesus did for us through his death, burial, and resurrection. And in fact, in Romans, fifth chapter, the Bible talks about how that, uh, you know, how that in Christ we have received the atonement. Well, the only problem with that is in the Greek, it doesn't say atonement. You say, well, why are you just making such a big deal over words? Well, you see, the word atonement comes from a Hebrew word. I believe it's the word kephar, if I remember correctly. And that particular word means to cover. You know, when Noah built his ark, he covered it, kephar, with pitch. And so, and so what people had through 
the Old Testament sacrifices was a covering over of sin, not an eradication of sin. Their nature never was changed. Their conscience never was made clear. They just, they just had the realization, really, that all of the sins that they had committed in the previous year were covered. They didn't have to be afraid of, of living in, in, in the consequences of those sins. But actually, the word atonement, which is used there in the book of Romans, in the Greek is the word reconciliation or exchange. Reconciliation means to reconcile something. So there was an exchange that took place through the Lord Jesus Christ. And the atonement really kind of gives us a type of that exchange. It helps us understand some things about it. But, uh, you know, one of the things, you know, I think I, I was reading something the other day, and I was thinking about this. You know, the animal sacrifices cover their sins for a previous year. Stop and think about it. Man, you, you go before God on the Day of Atonement. You know, you, you come down there with the children of Israel. You're at the congregation, uh, uh, the tabernacle. You're there, and the priest goes in and, and, and makes the sacrifice and then comes out and goes through the whole thing with the scapegoat, and we'll explain that in a minute. And, you know, you're thinking, thank God, you know, all the places I have failed, all the things for which I deserve wrath, all the things for which I deserve judgment have been covered. But here's the thing. Within 10 minutes, sin's going to be back working in us. Because, you know, in the Greek New Testament, there are like eight, uh, I think it's eight words, eight Greek words for sin. And they include sin that we don't realize is sin. Now, keep in mind, sin is anything... Sin is not just what you do wrong. Sin is anything that minimizes who God is to you, how you see God. Do you see him as he presents himself? Do you see him as his names declare him to be? Do you see him as the Lord Jesus depicted him to be? And sin also then, as a result of that, minimizes how you see yourself and what you believe God can do in your life. And so all of the limits in our life, every limitation, every, every shortcoming, every place in our life that we're failing to, to live life to its fullest is, the, is sin because it is, the, it is the result of minimizing who God is, minimizing what Jesus did for us at the cross, minimizing how we see ourselves in God. And so... So, you know, you, you couldn't go 10 minutes without minimizing yourself or minimizing God or, 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 or having attitudes that you shouldn't have. Or, or you know, one of, the, one of the interesting Greek words for sin that has, is something I had to deal with in my own life, it means to hear amiss. And to hear amiss is when you really, whether you're reading the Word of God or you hear a message or God just speaks in your heart, and you hear amiss in that you don't take it seriously, you don't hold on to it, you don't develop it, you don't act on it, therefore, you lose that inspiration. You know, I tell people all the time, you're, you're, you're not facing me. You, none of us are facing any problem today that God has not tried to deliver us from. But the problem was when that inspiration would come, we didn't hold on to it. We didn't, we didn't sanctify ourselves. That means set ourselves apart. We didn't move away from all the distractions of life and go get into prayer and get into seeking God and, and actually experience that. You know, you know, many times I have experienced physical healings in my life. Uh, and maybe I'd be listening to a sermon. Maybe I'd be having a conversation with people. And suddenly something someone would say, it would be what God would use to 
open my eyes. And I'm telling you, I would just get up, I would excuse myself, I would leave, and I would go somewhere and and start talking to God about it, opening my heart up to God about it. I can't tell you how many times I would experience a physical healing or a physical breakthrough, a, you know, a clear answer to a problem that I was facing simply because when that inspiration came, I separated myself and I pulled away. Now, you know what? There have been a whole lot of times that I didn't, and then, you know, a year later, I'm still dealing with the same problem. Well, God doesn't want you bound up in these problems. God doesn't want me bound up in these in these problems. But let, let me just say this before I get into why you know why I'm talking about this today about the two goats of salvation, uh, uh, because I want you to realize first of all your sins are not covered. You know I love that scripture. Most people love that scripture in, in the book of Isaiah, uh, Isaiah one eighteen says, "Come now, let us reason together." Says the Lord, "Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be." white as snow. In other words, they will be completely washed away. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You know, there are many people that just cannot grasp the fact that we have the power of sin has been broken in our life, that we are a new creation. We're not just saved sinners. We're not, we're not, we don't still have a sin nature and have forgiveness. We have been made a new creation. And I'm telling you, that's a point of contention for a lot of people. And the reason it's a point of contention is, well, then why do I still have these struggles? That's your flesh. There's a difference between your nature, your inherent nature, and just the cravings and desires of the flesh. You have been made righteousness or righteous. And that's why the Bible doesn't tell you when you're struggling with sin, it doesn't tell you to become righteous. It tells you to yield to righteousness. It, 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 it it doesn't tell you to, you know, to become a new creation. It tells you you are already a new creation, and if you trust that, then you can experience. But the incredible thing is, this was witnessed to uh, in on the Day of Atonement, uh, where there were were the there were two goats involved. And <clears throat> let me just say this: I th you know, there are some sacrifices where a lamb was involved. For, for example, on the day of, on, on the Passover, there was a lamb involved. And you know, a lamb represents a mild-mannered animal and uh, uh, that, that's not you know, vicious, it's not violent. And I, you know, my uncle raised goats and I was, I, I've worked around and played on a goat farm when I was a kid a lot. And my grandfather raised goats. As a matter of fact, almost everybody in my family raised goats and we even had goats. And uh, man, goats are mean. And but goats will butt you. They'll fight against you. They'll pull against you. They'll tear up stuff. They are just an absolute pain. And so it's really interesting the times that the sacrifices were goats as opposed to when the sacrifices were lambs. Now on, on the Day of Atonement, um, I, and, I, and I'm, again, I am just hitting the surface on this, but I want to hit this because I want you to see, have some insight into how we know what we have in Jesus about being made righteous, about being set free from sin, about not just being a saved sinner, but being made righteous, even though we still have to deal with our flesh. But uh, <clears throat> on the Day of Atonement, uh, the priest would sacrifice a bull, and with and he would and he would make this sacrifice for himself, for his family, for to cleanse the tabernacle. In other words, he had to deal with his own issues before he was qualified to be able to make sacrifices for the nation of Israel. Well, now, Jesus never had to do that because even though Jesus was a man, 
tempted and always like we are tempted. He never gave in to sin. He never gave in to temptation. So he didn't go in and, and take some kind of sacrifice for himself. Besides that, there was no sacrifice that could take away sin other than the blood that Jesus himself shed. The blood of bulls and goats did not take away sin. It did not cleanse the conscience. Now, now I'm going to tell you something. I, I, I will be... Uh, uh, releasing a new series at World Changer Weekend uh, called Come by the Blood. And it's all about what really happens with the blood of Jesus and what it means to have faith in the blood of Jesus and how you can really cleanse your conscience where, where yeah, you can remember that you did something, but you have no guilt about it whatsoever. You don't even see it as being yourself. You, see, you experience yourself completely clean and purged as if it was something you saw somebody else do. And if that's not your experience, and in your life right now, when you struggle with your failures, then, then very probably you don't really understand or believe much about the blood of Jesus, or you don't know how to walk into this realm where you apply the blood of Jesus to your own heart and experience that. So after the, after the, uh, the priest would make a sacrifice for himself, then... Um, uh, there, they would bring in two goats, and they went through a process of how to select these goats, and they would cast lots, and one goat would become the burnt offering, the sacrifice for, for sin. Now, that particular goat would go through all the proper preparations, and an, an offering would be made, uh, made of this particular goat. Now, the offering that, that was made, whether it's a bull, whether it's a goat, whether it's a lamb, if it's a burnt offering, one of the things that's really important is to understand that, that, there, was a, that, 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 that there was a place where from the very first sacrifice ever made by the children of Israel, where that first sacrifice was lit by the fire of God, and so the job of the priest was to make sure that those coals never went out and they were never, ever, ever to uh, light a burnt sacrifice with a fire that man made. It had to be a fire that God made. And there's so much typology in this, but the key, the key thing is this, is that God is the initiator of salvation. God is the initiator of this incredible life that he wants you to have in Jesus. He's the initiator of everything good and meaningful and valuable that you, you can have in, in your life. And so, <clears throat> so they would take the goat that, that the lot fell on to be the sacrifice, and they would prepare that goat, and he would be placed on, on the altar, the brazen altar, and, uh, and and the coals would be put on there, and it would be and it would be mixed with incense, and so all of this would turn into a sweet smelling savor that would go up before the Lord, and and this sweet smelling savor uh, is 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 when God 
thinks of you, when God relates to you, when God sees you. You see, Jesus himself is that sacrifice for us. That, that goat was just a type. So Jesus himself is the sweet-smelling savor that anytime God relates to you, relates to me, relates to any believer, he is, he is smelling the sweet aroma of life. He's smelling the, smelling the sweet aroma of Jesus' complete obedience. He's smelling the sweet aroma of his, of his beloved son in whom he is well-pleased. And, 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 you know, we are technically in Jesus. Therefore, uh, uh, God relates to us in every way as if we did everything we were supposed to do because we're not standing there before him just in our strength and, and our ability. The fire that was lit, he lit in us when we were born again. The sweet aroma that comes up. You know, everything everything is about God working in us through the Lord Jesus Christ. Man, and we could we could just spend hours on that and I just feel like I'm almost doing you a disservice by just talking about it so in such a limited way. But now keep in mind even under the Old Testament, they had to operate faith. They had to believe that God was receiving that offering, and that the blood of that offering that was sprinkled on the, that was sprinkled on the altar, and the sweet aroma that was going. They had to believe in order to participate in that in their heart that this covered their sins, and that the sweet aroma made them a, a sweet aroma to God themselves. And if they, if they didn't do that in faith, then they didn't get anything. Nothing happened in their life. Nothing changed at all in their life. If they did come before faith, and even though it didn't really cleanse their conscience, something happened in their heart that made them feel connected to God, that caused them to experience God. Now, this is so very, very important. There, there was a second goat and this second goat was called the scapegoat. Now, the scapegoat comes from the, the Hebrew word Azazar. Now, the Hebrew word Azazar, this is the very word that when, I think it was, I think it was when Pilate was trying to uh, uh, get Jesus out of being crucified, and, you know, it says in the English, they kept saying, take him away, take him away, or away with him. Well, in Hebrew, they were saying Azazar. And because the word scapegoat means the one that's sent away. You read in the book of, Je uh, book of Hebrews that Jesus, it says that he suffered outside of the camp. Well, this scapegoat, they would bring the scapegoat out and, and the priest would lay hands on the scapegoat and he would confess all of the sins of the nation of Israel that he had awareness of. And it was an act of faith. And all the people... They were acting in faith because they wanted to believe. And this is what God was showing them in typology. Now, typology is where God shows us something plainly that's going to, it, it, it has benefit right that moment, but the ultimate fulfillment of it is going to come at some time in the future. So, man, they are there with bated breath just, just said, oh, Oh, God, I trust you that all of my sins are being transferred onto that goat. That, that's the whole idea of the high priest laying hands on him. Now, if you read Isaiah 53, you realize that the Bible says that God laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. God made him, according to 2 Corinthians 5, 29, God made him to become our sin. We, we had no way to do that. Uh, our faith doesn't make that happen. Our faith just believes that it happened. And so we need to have this concept of God laying his hands on Jesus when he was on the cross and making Jesus to become our sin. Now, the scapegoat, 
after you know after they went through this whole process of of transferring the sins of the nation of Israel onto this goat, they would they would partic- they would pick a particular skilled man who knew the countryside and knew where it took this goat, and he would take this goat out into a place in the wilderness from which he could not escape, and ultimately the scapegoat would die in the wilderness away from the people, away from the presence of God. Uh, He would die alone and would suffer alone. That is a type of Jesus becoming our sin and Jesus bearing our sin to Hades. Now, many people think that Jesus instantly went to heaven after he died. That's not what the Bible teaches. When Jesus was raised from the dead and and Mary came, you you know, was there at the tomb, and uh, he told Mary, don't, don't cling to me. I have not yet ascended. Well, well, where had he been? Well, I'll tell you where he had been. He had been in the belly of the earth. He had been in the abode of the dead. And I'm telling you, there are dozens and dozens and dozens of prophecies about the fact that Jesus dies, even though he himself is righteous, he dies the death of the wicked. He is alienated from God. He dies the death that we should deserve. And, and, and paid all the price that we, would have to, that we would have to pay. And when we believe that, we have this freedom that comes to us that realizes, man, this is what Jesus did for me. I'll never pay that price. I deserve it, but I will never pay that price. So because Jesus took all of my sin, I have been made a new creation. Then I can see myself as being that's in that sweet-smelling sacrifice that was that, that comes up before God continually. I can see myself in Christ being accepted of God. I can see myself in Christ being pleasing to the Lord. Man, I'm oh man. So you get this picture of of how that Jesus became your sin. He took your sin, and he died the death, the punishment that you and I should have faced so that we could be in him as that sweet smell and savor that's going up before God and that God is just so pleased in us because we're trusting him. We're trusting what his son did for us. Now, I'm, I'm just going to toss something out here to you. And I, I don't, you, know, you, may, you may have heard some about this and, and I may teach this a little differently than some people do because, because I've heard different stories about it different way. But what the children of Israel would do is they would take a ribbon and they would dye that ribbon red. I've often wondered if they actually dipped it in blood. I don't know. But they would take a ribbon and they would, and they would dye that ribbon red using blood or something. And, and they, some accounts say that they would, there was a place in the, tab- in the tabernacle where that, rib- where that ribbon would hang. And at some point in time, when that scapegoat finally died out in the wilderness, that red ribbon would turn white, signifying just what Isaiah said, that though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. And they knew that God had accepted the sacrifice. Well, i got news for you. When you are willing to believe the truth about Jesus as your righteousness and what Jesus did for you, your heart's going to change and you're going to have the proof that God accepted the sacrifice of his life 
for you. You know something, if you're interested in diving into this and learning more things that you can apply, how you can work this out in your own life, be sure and go to my website, either impactministries.com or drjimrichards.com. Be sure and check out uh, this series called The Mysteries of the New Covenant. Like I say, I'm giving you everything I can in this particular public presentation of it and then i'm going even deeper in the private presentation just so you can dig deeper and apply more to your life listen be sure and 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 be here every week join me every week i'm gonna have a great message for you every week and you know what be sure and check out our world changer weekend third weekend in july and we are i'm gonna be teaching a brand new series on the blood of jesus and i'm telling you what it's gonna be a life changer a heart changer it's gonna help you understand how to operate the kind of faith where you have a clear conscience and the past no longer haunts you you're no longer troubled by all of these things and be sure and check out our, all the resources on our website. We've got incredible resources. We've got hundreds of free series that you can check out. So I'll be talking to you again next week. Thanks for listening to the weekly Impact Ministries World Changers podcast with Dr. Jim Richards. If you like what you've just heard, we encourage you to share our web address, www.impactministries.com with friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out the resources section of our website for previous podcasts and our videos. Join us next week for another great message by Dr. Jim Richards.